Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by my friend, the legendary trainer Teddy Atlas. We're doing a remote coronavirus episode today. As you as you can, we're probably, self-quarantining. We're doing we our self-quarantining. part. We're doing our part to um, honor the administration's wishes of social distancing. So we're both locked in our houses, but. Um, Committed to bringing you guys some content, especially in light of the fact that there's absolutely zero sports on TV right now. Teddy, how are you holding up in Staten Island? It's pretty crazy. I mean, like everywhere, you know, people, listen, it's a serious thing. We respect that. We understand that. We appreciate that. Um, we're thankful, very thankful as people, as people that care about other people, that our family's okay, and we pray for other people that have been affected by the virus, that everybody's going to be okay. Um, you know, we feel terrible to the people that have, uh, especially the elderly people, it seems, that have uh, been more hurt by this virus and some of them have died because of it. Uh, it's terrible. But, uh, again, it reminds us of how much we have to be grateful for that you know, we live in a country that can react to it and that can help people so quickly. Whereas some people don't live in that kind of country where they can get the resources, the help to the people so fast. And that um, there are people out there that that are, you know, putting themselves at service, uh, even at risk to help others. It just reminds you when there is... Uh, when there is a problem, you know, whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's something uh, like this with a disease, you know, whether it's a, God forbid, a terrorist attack, whatever it is, that uh, people come together and care about other people. And, you you know, and you're reminded again that, uh, that you're all fortunate to have a country that can have the just the, the resources and the measurements needed to to protect people. There's so many places where people are less protected than here in the United States. So, um, again, we pray for everybody. We hope that this thing passes as quickly as possible. Uh, but our country has been through it before. Our world, our world, has been through it before. And we'll get past it again. And... You know, we can uh, we can also still have a sense of humor, and so with that, I um, got a Coca uh, Diet Coke for you. I don't know if you can see it. Here it is. One of my few vices. <laughs> yeah, well, you love Diet Coke, and I just want to make sure I grab one before it's all gone, because it is moving off the shelves at a rapid, rapid, rapid pace. So, Ken. I got you covered. I appreciate you. I was thinking you. about you with, with all this. And um, again, all the people out there, thank you for listening to us. And, you know, we we hope that everybody out there is healthy and, uh, and secure from this. Well, keeping along those uh, same lines of um, not necessarily conspiracy theories with regards to coronavirus, but... Uh, conspiracy theory with regards to the Fury Wilder fight. Since that fight's happened, I, I've been shocked at um, 
how much dialogue's been going back and forth between the, the, the fan bases of both Fury and Wilder. And uh, I know we, we touched briefly on the um, conspiracy regarding Fury's gloves. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just because anyone who's making these accusations about his gloves being half on, half off, have clearly never seen the process of how a professional fighter gets gloved up, especially in a title fight of this magnitude with the commissioners, the opponent's team in there. Can you talk about the the gloving process and how it would virtually be impossible for a fighter to tamper with his glove placement during a fight. Definitely. I mean, look, you you were there with me. I had you there with me for the my fight Alex Fosick and against Better BF. You were with me for the camp and you were with me in the locker room. So uh you have a better perspective than you know, most people out there being that you witnessed it, you were you saw the process. First of all, the day before at the weigh-in, the gloves are chosen. They're wrapped. They're brand new. They're in a bag, plastic. It's opened up with the commission there. Uh, you, you choose. Each fighter gets to choose two pairs, one as a backup, one the one that they're going to wear in the ring. You choose them, you try them on, everybody looks at them, checks them, everything's good, and then the commission marks them to make sure they're not tampered with. Then they take them and they keep them with them overnight for 24 hours, and you don't see them again until you're in the locker room. And again, there's a commission member in the locker room with you. When it came... When it comes time to wrap your hands, you make an agreement, first of all, uh, when both sides are going to wrap hands. Uh, you agree maybe an hour before, okay, this camp will send somebody over to witness the wrapping. When you start, this camp will also send somebody over and a commission member will be there on hand to witness the wrapping of their hands. After that, at the appropriate time before you're getting ready to leave the dressing room, the gloves are put on. Again, at that time, a commissioner, uh, a member of the commission is there to watch the wrapping of the gloves, the putting on of the gloves, uh, the taping of the gloves. In other words, there's really, there's never a moment to tamper with the gloves. There is, years ago, when uh, Louis Resto and Panama Lewis had that terrible, oh my, that terrible situation in New York and Madison Square Garden where undefeated Billy, Coll undefeated and untested, Billy Collins had stepped up and fought Louis Resto and he took a terrible beating. And he was, I mean, every bone, uh, according to what the report was, a lot of bones in his face, let's put it that way, were broken. And you could see it. He looked like he had been uh, beaten with knuckles. And afterwards, they found out that the gloves had been tampered with, that lining had been removed. Hair, back in those days, they still used horse hair, uh, had been removed from the gloves. Terrible. Awful. And um, both Resto and his trainer, Panama Lewis, were suspended for life. And Billy Collins, of course, never recovered from that. A terrible situation, a terrible beating. But that can't happen again because that was one of the things that prompted uh, this kind of scrutiny. Uh, it should have been there all the time. 
but this kind of scrutiny where a commission member must always be in the locker room to watch, you know, the putting on of the gloves and everything we just described. So it can't be manipulated. It it cannot uh, be compromised because of what I just described. Now, having said that, I saw the pictures. I don't know if, Rob, we're going to be able to put pictures and Rob gives me the thumbs up that we will. Rob always has it covered. That we'll be able to show the pictures that people are being alarmed about. And there's no doubt about it. You can look at these pictures, you can look at the video, and it does look like, in some ways, either Fury is double-jointed, <laughs> which I think is a fair description, of where all of a sudden his wrist looks like it, uh, it gets longer and the glove gets longer and it flops, and it looks like his fist is not in the glove, <laughs> in the proper part of the glove, like the top part of the fist part of the glove is is naked of the fist so to speak and it's it's just flopping uh out it, it does have that perception it does have that look i have no doubt that it has nothing to do with the glove being compromised as i said it can't be in a in a dressing room leading up to the fight leading up to the time he leaves the dressing room and gets in a ring um and the bell rings it doesn't mean that he didn't take a different technique, that he maybe he manipulated himself. And I'm listen, I'm going to say anything that's possible here, just to touch on all the conspiracy theories. That, But the one that can't be is that the glove was compromised. That, that I think, we put to rest. But, uh, as we just said, because of foul play or anything like that, we just covered that. But... Could he manipulate it himself by maybe somehow, you know, getting his hand a little bit looser where he could flop the glove a little bit or where he pulled his fingers back a little bit? Maybe maybe it had an extra large glove and there was a tiny bit of room to pull his glove back a little bit, uh, his fingers back a little bit and, and do what I'm doing and, f and flap it a little bit. First of all, I wouldn't want to do that. It'd be dangerous to the structure of your hand because <laughs> you're going to try to hit a guy with, with a loose hand like that. Guess what? Fracture is the word that comes to my mind. Fracture, uh, as in fractured bones, fractured fingers. Um, it, it wouldn't feel too good. Second thing, you're, you're giving up power. I mean, by opening your hand and flopping it like that, um, you, you can't throw a compact punch, a solid punch to do damage. And you are trying to do damage in that ring if uh, anybody hasn't gotten that memo. Uh, that is kind of, you know, Ken, that is kind of the what, what, the, what the goal is. And listen, again, all conspiracy theories. I got you guys. I got you today. All right? I got you all. Um, you know, I got the Diet Coke here for Ken, and I got the conspiracy theory uh, hat on where could could you be doing it, flopping it like that to maybe distract the guy? Maybe you're using your left hand, right? You're an orthodox fighter. You're using your left hand to flop it, and then you're getting a little more extension on it. Maybe you're getting the other three. If the if you're letting yourself flop it like this and do it with an open hand, uh, maybe 
you get an extra three inches extension where your jab's a little longer. Now, without power, without a fist behind it, without anything consequential behind it, but do you get the three inches? Maybe you can. Maybe you could get another three inches and distract them. Oh, my God. Does he really have this kind of mindset, this man? <laughs> wow. <laughs> this Fury, I know he's nuts, but is he really? And he's a genius in nuts. I say it in a good way, too. And in a way that he's nuts. But does, do, do you, so did he really think of that? I get another three inches. I annoy him. I annoy him kind of like, you know, mosquitoes would annoy you at a barbecue, right? You know, and gnats and stuff, and it annoys you. You never annoy me. (laughs) You never annoy me, by the way. I just want you to know that. And so he flops it out there (laughs) as the setup, and then the right hand with the fist in it, closed, comes in and scores. All right. Hey, listen, if he went through all that to do that, and he he could get away with that, and be allowed to get away with that without, again, without doing anything illegal, without compromising the gloves or anything that we just talked about. If he could figure out a way to just open his glove up and the referee didn't see anything, you know, back in the old days, I'll find something. I'll find a not a precedent for it, but something to compare it with. In the old days when, when, uh, Ali used to stick his glove out and and just put it in in whether it was Frazier or whoever the opponent was in his face to to you know to frustrate him and to hold him at a certain range and distance. The referee would come in and he'd smack it down. He said, "Hey, can't do that. Can't do it." So that's you know. So if the referee if the referee didn't notice it, um, either he's not looking for it and he missed it or he didn't think that it was he obviously didn't think it was anything that had to be the way when Ali did it it had to be reprimanded you know the referee obviously didn't think that so if again if he if he thought that and and he was able to get that edge that way so he could set up the right hand well again it's it's not like he did something illegal something to the point that's criminal something to the point that oh my god uh, you know we have to we we got a water gate here you know or we got <laughs> glove you gate. know what i mean i mean yeah glove gate yeah, glove gate uh, you know so uh that's that's the way i see it i think uh that's the way to cover it for for everybody out there for everyone out there people on the side of wilder that that wanted maybe grab at something we're fans we we want to grab our guy that there could be something that was wrong if it's possible and and also the guys out there that are saying on the side of fury no it's not right to say that it's ridiculous it's absurd so i think we had a little responsibility because of the amount of attention brought out on on some of the websites and stuff out there floating around on the internet that we that we should cover and covered with a fine tooth comb as uh i think or as i think we just did um i'm just trying to think if there's anything else that i mean i think that's pretty much uh well the only other the only the only other thing that i wanted to ask you about with regards to that fight is a report that just came out out of the uk in the last like 24 or 48 hours apparently a farmer in um in England 
testified on behalf of Fury two years ago. Him and his brother, they both got um, suspended by UK anti-doping for elevated nandrolone, which is a synthetic testosterone, or synthetic steroid, sorry. And um, the farmer testified on behalf of the Furies that he did, in fact, sell them this wild meat, wild boar in particular. And he was allegedly to be paid $30,000 approximately. Uh, Apparently, he never got paid, and he came out and he said, Okay, here's the truth. I lied and they I never sold them. I've never sh- I've never even seen a wild boar. I've never raised a wild boar. And before I get your opinion, there is an interesting um uh, precedent to this story. Floyd Landis, who tested positive during the Tour of France after having been an, a, a teammate of Lance Armstrong and a friend of Lance Armstrong for years, Floyd won the Tour, was found to be doping went to like the mattresses in his defense that he know he never doped. He raised millions of dollars to defend himself. He wrote a book. He wanted to make a comeback in 2012. I know this story intimately because I'm close with Lance. And Floyd came to um, Lance. He was hit. The suspension was upheld. And Floyd came back to Lance and said, I want to race with your team at the Tour of California. And Lance said, no can do. You're a convicted dope or you, you've been caught essentially, you know, like no honor among thieves. And um, Floyd said, if you don't let me on the team, I'm going to tell everyone what the, the truth. Now, keep in mind, he had already raised millions of dollars. He defended himself. And Lance basically said, go for it and called his bluff. Well, Floyd went nuclear and basically came out and said, no, nah, this is what happened. Outlined the whole thing. And, you know, eventually USADA went to all the teammates that Lance had throughout the years. And although he never failed a test, that the the teammates all took the immunity deal or a six-month suspension during the winter to testify against Lance, who was then suspended for life, essentially. But that's an interesting correlation because when when Floyd came out, Lance and his team were like, it's his word against ours. We like our our word since he's now going to be a proven liar. He's already lied and, and essentially stolen millions of dollars and eventually enough momentum got behind it that it was turned out to be Floyd was actually telling the truth. And yes, he did lie originally. And this, it, it reminds me exactly of what's going on with this UK farmer. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, um, in Boston, what do they say? First of all, <laughs> more or less, <laughs> I just, you know, right? a little bit, right? Go get the car. Get the car. First of all, listen, I will give them credit for being more creative than (laughs) Canelo, where when Canelo tested positive, all they said was that he got it from tainted meat. This is wild boar, baby. (laughs) You don't hear wild boar too often. You know what I mean? Specifically, uncastrated wild boar. Uncastrated. <laughs> even even worse. Oh, well, you didn't say it was even uncastrated. Unca- then, of course, it was tainted. Oh, my God. Unca- <laughs> uncastrated. Oh, my. I mean, I, I don't, you know what? I'm going to leave that alone. I <laughs> All I can tell you is it's really, you're going to the really out there to those places where you know, Captain Kirk and Star Trek went to. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're, you're, you're going out there. You're going out there, you know, to new frontiers. Wild boar, the creative son of a guns. Really, I got to give him credit. Wild, uncastrated, wild boar. All right. Um, 
you know, I used to say when I heard it from Canelo, I, I said, hey, with all that money, could you just go buy Colby beef? You know what I mean? You, you got to be eating <laughs> tainted hamburgers, uh, you know? But having said that, uh, it was that to remind people, first of all, it was in 2015. Because some people get confused. They say, oh, look, look, this fight is tainted. Because, it, no, it was 2015, first of all. Am I correct, Ken? Yep. It was two, it was two, so it's not like this has been uh, something that was a test that just came up after this last fight. Uh, or after the first fight that they had. It was back in 2015. Now, it doesn't mean that... It, they didn't use something back there. It doesn't mean that. Uh, we don't know. I mean, how are you going to prove it at this point? Uh, when there's smoke, sometimes there is fire. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and it sounds fishy that, you know, that uh, that this guy, you know, with the whole thing that he's going to be paid 25,000 pounds, which is equivalent to about 30,000 U.S. money, uh, to to say that he ate wild boar as a as a you know excuse for testing positive in his area, so listen again, how does it matter? It was in 2015. Let's put things in perspective. Now I'm going to be on both sides again. I'm I'm, I'm running CSI here, this <laughs> forensics show right now, and I'm going to be on both sides and covered. How does it matter, Ted? I hear you already. I hear some of you people there and the wilder people saying it, it matters that it showed a precedent that he that he was ready to cheat. Yes, if it's true. If it was, if he actually, but we don't know. We can't prove it. But it could show uh, it's an ability or uh, a... a, a uh, an allowance of himself to use such things and if you do it once you could be trying to do it again uh yeah that's true uh if 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 we knew for a fact that back in 2015 he actually used this um the other thing i say and and again i'll qualify it by again saying there's nothing to prove that there was anything unwarranted, illegal, you know, suspicious in this fight or the first fight that he had in this realm of PEDs, you know, uh, using things you shouldn't be using. And they were supposedly tested. Let's not forget that, right, Ken? Yep. They were they were tested. Now, listen. <clears throat> Does boxing have the most comprehensive drug testing? You can speak to this probably better than most people. No. Do they have the most? No. Because they do it at a time and then they stop doing it. Uh, at the time that they do it, the testing, you could have been on cycles to get an advantage and then stop before the testing starts. 100%. So, <laughs> so listen, I, I'd rather have something than nothing. I'm glad that we do have VADA, that we do have some place to do some testing. But again, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. I mean, both fighters have to agree to it. I mean, it's, look, as long as we're on this, let's, let's pull the whole curtain back, right? Because it's about getting things and talking about things that other people don't talk about, that we talk about, 
and put it all out there. You know, some of the great fighters like Pacquiao, great, and I love Pacquiao. I love the human being he is. I love what he's done. I, I love what he's, everything about him, everything. But if my memory serves me correctly, I believe for the Thurman fight, he refused to be tested. Am I correct, Ken? Uh, I believe. I, correct? I believe so. They. I think that they submitted to testing, but like maybe like a f- weeks weeks before the no test. Vada, no Vada. I believe that he refused to do the Vada protocol. Yeah, but even if you don't, I believe Nevada State Athletic Commission tests everyone in the state. But the point is that they're tested within like four to eight weeks of the fight, which is an easy way exactly. to beat. Exactly. I'm talking about the protocol testing of Vada, where it's where it's maintained throughout the camp he refused to do that is that correct i believe yes. so rob's giving me a thumbs up uh our man uh producer here and he's given a thumbs up so all i'm saying is does that make manny guilty that he did something no no but you know he he did refuse the point i'm making here is that I think this sport has plenty of culprits, like football, baseball. But the difference in those sports, they went after it in a much stronger, aggressive, definitive, organized, structured way, which you can do when you have a national commission. (laughs) But you can't do it if you don't have a czar, a national commission that, that lines up rules and protocol and makes it for everybody, and enforces regulations, puts regulations and rules in place, and then puts punishment in place to enforce it. Unless you have that, like the Olympics, you get caught, you're out. You're out. But in boxing, even with the people that have gotten caught, they're fighting again and getting big contracts. I mean, Baby Miller got caught, and I'm not looking to pick on him, but again, we talk about things no one else talks about, you know? Uh, he he's getting ready. He just signed the contract with Top Rank. And listen, I wish him well, but he was caught. He was dirty. He's right back now. What did he get? A six month suspension, Ken? I think he got. He, I think he got two years. But well, it hasn't been two years. No, it hasn't I mean, been two maybe, years. Maybe you, but I don't think. <laughs> I don't. Maybe your calendar. <laughs> maybe you work a different calendar than I do. Maybe, uh, but the calendar I work by. It's it's not the one where you you take the stick and you move the things. But I don't think know, I don't think move. he has a fight scheduled yet. But I know he was celebrated the the signing with top rank like that they like they just got some uh, Olympic gold medalist and the guy's just been convicted of. Here it is. Rob just gave it to me. Headlines. Daily News. Jarrell Big Baby Miller could be returning from suspension in October. Bang. <laughs> Bang. Even worse. That uh, even worse. <laughs> So what was it, six months? He was caught red-handed. He wasn't just caught for one thing. He was caught for EPO, testosterone, I think growth hormone. I don't even know another substance you could add to that. No, listen, just don't put the lights out when he's around, uh, you know, people that are testing (laughs) for that stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. Because that could be a giveaway. Could be a giveaway. When when all of a sudden you light up and and you're glowing in the dark. But the point I'm making is I think, Many people in this sport are drugging, if you want to just put that word yeah. out there, or what PED, whatever the hell you want to call it. I think they're cheating. I think there's a lot of them out there, and the fighters know it. The fighters would be the first one, these honest fighters, they'll be the first one to tell you because 
and as I say, I'm bringing it up because it's one thing to be having that juice running through your veins if you're hitting a baseball. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't see any any groups out there. I know you have groups that try to be out there for everything, Ken, but I don't see any groups out there to protect the baseball. Do you? No. Nope. I mean, I I haven't seen one lately that says, "Oh my God, you're beating up this baseball. You, uh, we're gonna we're gonna lobby against you, or we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna you know boycott you." No. So, but so it's one thing to have truth, and it's wrong. Don't get me wrong, but. It's another thing if you have juice running through your veins and you're punching somebody in the face. Yep. That's different. Yep. That's different. And and that's why I get so freaking pissed. Yeah. And and why I take this stuff so serious. And and that's why the clean fighters out there do too. They say, Hey, I'm in a tough enough business if you haven't noticed. Where every time I'm like Teddy says, every time I get in the ring, there's a chance I leave there with less of myself. And I'm doing this for my family i'm doing this for myself i'm doing this to be the best i can you know to have a legacy to have things for my family to have things that we all want to have but i and i and i know the risk i do it knowing the risk but there shouldn't be an additional risk because somebody's cheating and all i'm saying is we don't have the comprehensive we don't we don't have the kind of testing that you could be absolutely sure that nobody's cheating there's and again i said it earlier you you have a testing that there could be flaws and all kinds of things but the just the premise of it it's voluntary it's voluntary so you ask a guy can i test you do if if a guy if a guy is full of stuff in his veins that he shouldn't be full of do you think he's going to put his hand up and say uh yes i like to do it although you make a pretty good point militant <laughs> militant i don't know what i i don't know where his mind was that that he would volunteer for testing knowing that <laughs> you knowing that he had I, I mean the only thing he was missing was wild ball <laughs> he tested positive for epo epo has a half-life of like a day max like meaning you could take it today and two days later not test not test dirty for it yeah I, I, so all all i'm saying is it's a voluntary approach in boxing uh you know it, it's not the strongest way of eliminating something that can be very and is very dangerous in the sport um, so is it possible that a guy who five, five years ago possibly, possibly, we don't know that he did, possibly did something that he could try it again? That's so I that that's possible, but um, we have no proof of that. Uh, again, there was some testing done, both guys for whatever's available in boxing. Uh, I believe Wilder and Fury did test. They both tested clean, and it was such a, a, a newsworthy event that there were like um, news alerts sent out. Both guys come back clean, like that's a reason to celebrate. And Dan Ref, Dan Raphael posted that like on Twitter, and all I could think was, would you post? Hey, we tested the uh, we tested Tom Brady. He passed the test. I mean, or any NFL player or any professional athlete. Like, hey, we tested and they passed. These guys get tested all the time, but it's just interesting that in boxing we feel that that's a newsworthy event. That hey, these guys passed the test. Let's like 
Well, I'm just making a point. You're right. But I'm just making a point that there was some testing. Yes. So, so for people that are going to say, oh, Teddy, you know, he maybe he fooled around in 2015. He, he might have done it again. for the, Well, there was some testing. Again, I think I covered everything, to be fair. That is it the most comprehensive, uh, surefire way of testing? No. But it's it's the testing that's available right right now in the sport. I will say this. I, I will do my part in adding to another conspiracy theory because <laughs> I just putting stuff out there with no agendas other than what my eyes and my lack of fear of giving a damn about what people uh, say will allow me to put out there that that because I don't have an agenda, because I don't have a, a horse in any of these races, that I, I, I'll say something without worrying about being in somebody's camp or not in somebody's camp. So having said that, I will say this. Conspiracy theories aside, you know, and again, with everything we covered, I think responsibly, that there's no proof that he did anything in 2015, no proof that he would have done something now in this last two fights. Um, but I remember making a comment when he was at the weigh-in. Correct me if my memory is wrong. Fury, there was a lot of talk about that he was going to put weight on. So we were waiting to see him. And Fury had his shirt on. Am I correct? He kept his shirt That's on? That's right. During the way Yeah, yeah. So, so there, was, there was thought that, hey, wouldn't you take your shirt off if you look good? So the thought was he put a lot of weight on and he's going to look flabby and he's keeping his shirt on. What a psychological genius this guy might be. Might be. Might be. Because the first thing I got to admit when I was watching it up at ESPN headquarters covering it for Sports Center, and he came and he finally took his shirt off after giving up the throne for a moment. You know, he had to get off the throne, the, <laughs> the king. And, uh, when he, and he finally took his shirt off, and he was, we knew he was 273 pounds, so we knew he had put on all that weight. I said to myself, oh, wow, he looks good. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm surprised how solid he looks. Mm -hmm. Wow. He actually looked better at that weight for me than he did at the lower weight. Yeah. He looked more solid. I agree. And I was like, gee, oh, that's 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 interesting. So the first thing, me as a trainer, the first thing I'm thinking, you know, 75% of this is mental, right, buddy? The first thing I'm thinking is, what a genius. What a psychological wizard. This furious. Because everybody was saying he was heavy, and he and he was, and everyone was saying he might be, you know, assuming that might be connected to not being ready properly physically. That maybe by keeping his shirt on and may he makes Wilder think or take for granted during this whole time leading up to the fight, during the whole camp, and then of course the weigh-in to psychologically make him think that, oh, this guy isn't ready. In other words, to to start to think you have an advantage, to start to take something for granted, 
to start to assume it's going to be an easy night. People do that, Ken, especially in this business where you're under that fear, you're under that pressure. You want to grab at something. A guy who's about to go in, into rapids and might be drowning here, grabbing razor blades, razor blades to keep afloat. And a guy under pressure, you know, a guy who is about to go in the ring, which is one of the most difficult things out there to do, to face. Scariest thing out there to face, to face yourself, to face that unknown, to face what might happen, to go in there and you're going in there, you want to relieve yourself. You want to help yourself. You want to bolster yourself. You want to float yourself. You want to give yourself something to feel better about. And you say, this guy's not in shape. Hmm. This guy's not in shape because he's keeping his shirt on. He's not in shape. I got this easy, you know, a little bit. And then all of a sudden the shirt comes off and you look and you go, <laughs> oh, shoot. Wait a minute. He was supposed to look fat. We can't help it. It's human nature. We can't help it. We, we, we were looking, even though we would never admit it, we were looking to hope that it was going to be a sign, that we were going to have a little extra advantage. And then all of a sudden you see, what a genius. I started thinking to myself, oh, my God, this guy, is he that much of a psychological expert <laughs> that, that, he knew, that he knew he might get a little edge here? And then come out, take the shirt off, and look look pretty pretty damn good. Yeah. And then I'll finish it by saying for those people that want to have the conspiracy theory that if you were taking stuff, you'd look better with that extra weight than you would look without taking that stuff with that extra weight. You might it might help you look a little more solid. Mm -hmm. And again. Oh boy! I, when this thing podcast comes out, I can see it now. <laughs> oh God! The the the, the sirens are going to be going off. You know, they might right. <laughs> the, the the people are going to be saying, "Oh, Teddy, you said I explained it. I'm just covering everything." But I can see it now. I I really I can see the you know people be going to DEFCON three. Oh, Teddy, you you know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's gonna be a five alarm. Uh -oh. Ken, it's gonna be a five alarm. We we'll just have to stay out of the stay out of the YouTube comments. <laughs> well, listen, let's switch up gears and talk about some of the recent fights um, that have happened since we've been away for the last two and a half weeks. Starting with the uh, all Mexican showdown between Mikey Garcia and uh, Jesse Vargas. Mikey Garcia obviously coming off the um, loss to Errol Spence where he didn't really look good at welterweight. And Jesse Vargas, a two-weight, uh, former two-weight champion. He was the WBO um, welterweight champion. Um, he also had the WBA and IBO super lightweight championships. Um, this fight was down in Frisco, Texas. Excellent fight. I thought early on Jesse Vargas looked great, and then he got caught in the fifth and dropped, and that was looked like a bit of a turning point for um, for Mikey Garcia, who looked really sharp. Incredible one-two. He kept he kept hurting him. He had Jesse Vargas hurt again in the seventh. I thought he was. I thought the ref was looking at stopping it, but the the, the round ended. Give me your thoughts on that fight and um, where you think both guys go from here. Well, first of all, I'm looking at my notes. I always, I care about being responsible. I care about making sure I remember what I want to say, making notes during the fight when I watch it so I can bring out things to you. 
not you, Ken, but to the to the fans. You, of course, too. Um, so the first thing is uh, you touched on it. His first fight back almost a year off, 11 months, I think, since he lost a one-sided fight to, you know, to one of the top fighters in the world, Spence, who was bigger. And uh, he took a lot of punishment. It was a one-sided fight. Uh, so the first thing I noticed is the usual with Garcia. He started slow. He lost three of his f- first four rounds. I, I thought maybe some people could have said he lost the first four, but I thought he lost three of the first four. And then, as you said, he got dropped by Vargas. Uh, uh, then he dropped Vargas uh, in the fifth to obviously catch up real fast and change the course uh, of the fight. Um, I think I need to say this first. Vargas, again, I'm not here to knock anyone. I'm here to tell the truth as I see it. Doesn't mean that I'm right. It's what my experience, my eyes tell me um, from being in this sport for, you know, 45 years or whatever the hell it is. I, the first thing I need to say is Vargas, he fought a good fight, a game fight. He's a game son of a gun. All that, all that. I don't think I should have to qualify that. But Vargas always loses at the next level. You faced him, right? Were you, were you with Bradley when Bradley beat him? No, I wasn't. Okay. I, I started training Bradley after that fight. Okay. We almost knocked Bradley out in the, in the last round yeah. with a right hand. But Bradley survived it. But um, And he's real tricky, Vargas, with one thing. He's got... He's a one-trick pony to a certain extent where he, he'll, he'll bend low and then he'll come up high with the right hand. Yeah. And he'll change your eye levels where you won't be ready for that right hand up top. Uh, he, he, does that, he does that fairly well or very well. But anyway, look, he's a solid guy. But I would be remiss. I would not be doing my job and bringing what I'm supposed to bring if I didn't say that Vargas always loses at the next level. He doesn't win at that next level. Very similar to another fighter who's, who's a champion, just like Vargas was, but they lose at that next level. Broner. Adrian Broner always loses at that next level. Funny you say that because they have, they have a draw against each other, Vargas and Broner. And isn't it perfect? Yep. Isn't it funny? I'm so glad you brought up because I thought the same thing. As I'm, as I'm thinking this out, getting ready for this podcast, and I made a n- notes to myself, I said, wow, <laughs> isn't this funny? I'm making this point, and they fought a draw against each other. Bingo. Perfect. Um, so, listen, Broner's talent is more, um, it's more neon. It's more flash than Vargas's talent. So you're less apt to think what I just said about Broner because he does have that sizzle uh, around him. With the with that talent that stands out and is more recognizable, I guess. But the facts are the facts. It's it's a mental game too, and at that next level, both these guys don't win, and it's funny, they both came up short enough to fight a draw. <laughs> with each other. Well, before we keep going on that, just one side note: you might be surprised to know this. 
But Adrian Broner was arrested again this week. Try to control. You know, I don't your, want to make fun. I, I, no, there's I know, nothing I to know. make fun. How many times does a grown man have to get arrested? Come on, dude. And you're right. <clears throat> I don't want to go. Oh, really? Gee, I can't believe it. I'm shocked. So I don't want to make fun at anyone's expenses. And I know you don't. And I know what you mean by it. A hundred percent. It's sad. It's, it's uh, somebody. The kid needs help. The kid needs help. And I listen. I I'm from the place where. I'm from the place where I had to learn and be accountable for myself. So I have definitely, I made plenty of mistakes in my life, but I made them and I corrected them. And I hopefully got to a good place uh, in my life to be a good father, husband, person. I, I hope. I try to be better every day. Um, but, and make proper choices, proper decisions. Um. So I'm of the belief that you're responsible for yourself when you hit a certain age. You are. You're responsible. You're accountable as a man, as a person, for your choices, for your decisions. But, and there is a but, I will say that, and, and again, people say, gee, Teddy, with you, nobody's protected. Well, not from the truth. I don't think. You shouldn't be protected from it. The people around him have responsibility nobody they all made money with him and listen is it their responsibility that he was dui or that that he that he that he's doing some of the things that he's done to be arrested for for not just recently but even before and that this patent is it them them doing it no no i'm not saying that i'm just saying that some of these people that have been around them and made money with them that maybe they have to they they have to take a little, and I'm very careful. I'm being very careful with this, Ken. But they got to take a little responsibility, because because when you're around a fighter, if someone's doing something wrong in the ring, you tell them. If your fighter is dropping his right hand, he's getting hit with left hooks. You tell him why, because it's going to impact him. It's going to impact you too, uh, because it's your job to correct things that could hurt him. Well, guess what? If he's doing things wrong socially, as a person. It's your job to correct him because it can impact him. It will impact him. It will impact him. It's your job as, as being around him, that you're in that position. You do have a responsibility, just like you do to tell him to keep the right hand up when he throws a jab, to move his head after his last punch. You have a responsibility to care about that, to care about that element, that side of it. And... They, from what I could see, and I'm not there, I'll, I'll qualify it again, that I'm not there with them, but from what I could see, they seem to have tolerated. I think that's a fair word. For sure. They seem to have tolerated some of his obnoxious behavior, some of the stuff that wasn't the best stuff to be seeing, that could be leading to other stuff. Yep. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you, when you see somebody doing one thing, you know, and, he, and he's had a problem with drugs and you see him drinking and, and you get worried and that person will say to you, but it's only a beer. Yeah, but in this particular person, that beer could lead to something maybe a little bit more destructive. Yep. Right? No, right? no, no, you're, you're right. And I didn't, I didn't. It could lead down to, and you see that kind of behavior 
and and you and that kind of action, and you say with this guy it could lead to other things. Let's stop it. Let's nip it in the bud. Let's say something. And I I just wish that he had people around them that would have. And again, maybe some of them did say something, but they didn't say enough. Yeah. And and it's not all on them. It's not all on them. But having said that, um, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. The kid needs help. Uh, it's sad he's he's destroying himself. And is it the first time we'll see this with a promising athlete or a person that has talent in in any area? It doesn't even have to be athletics. That that they could destroy themselves and go down a reckless path and an unfortunate destructive path. No, it's just too bad when you see it. It's not good when you see it. That's all. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yep. Well, um, sorry to distract you there. I want to get back to the Vargas uh, Garcia fight again. It was it was a really good fight. I I found it very entertaining. Like I said, uh, Vargas looked good early, but Mikey Garcia turned the tables on him with that sharp one two all night. He kept hitting him with it. Um, what were you? Well, Garcia, let me tell you something for me, um, Ken. Garcia is like the tortoise in that race with the hare. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, now I know you're saying, let's see where Teddy's going with this one. But, you know, the tortoise is always inching and inching and inching. And he's, even though it looks like he ain't doing, he's inching into the race. He's inching into position. If you watch Garcia, he's always inching into position. It takes him a while. He's a notorious slow starter. And part of the problem with the fight was, he started slow. He gave up the early rounds. And what was really happening was, to the credit of Vargas, he was stepped it up. He realized that he had a chance in early rounds to grab rounds. And he was fighting at the right distance. He was, he was tall. He was longer. So he was getting extension on his punches at a place where he could catch Garcia before Garcia could inch like the tortoise before he could inch into position because Garcia is always inching in. But then you give him enough time, just like the tortoise, he gets there. He gets there. It takes a little time. I'm not making him slow. You guys out there that you got the knife sharpened now to, to fling at me because you love <laughs> Garcia, I'm not, please, put him back, put him back in that case because I'm not, not saying he's slow. I'm just making a point. It takes him time to get started. He inches his way into position. And I'll make another point that nobody's ever talked about. He had a long layoff. He had a he had a self-imposed layoff. I don't have it in front of me, Ken, but I know it was a while because I believe Garcia, it might have been back, it might have been back somewhere around 2014 or 15. Um I, I believe. But he was he was sitting out a promotional contract. From January 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 of 14 until July of 16, he was completely inactive. So there it is. over two years, two and a half years. And I believe it was to sit out a promotional contract. He wanted to get away from a promoter. I believe it might have been the late Dan, du uh, Dan, um, Dan Goosen. I believe. I'm not positive. Rob's going to find out for me. But whatever it was, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure it was to sit out to, to just – get out of a promotional contract. So he sat out, how long was it, uh, Ken? Two, two years? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Wow. 
Wow. See, people forget about that. Uh, during his most prime years, a young fighter. You know what? That could destroy a lot of fighters. You got to give this kid a lot of credit. Think about it. That's that's all. That's taking a chunk out of your most viable years as a in 14 athlete. in his last fight way. in 14 he was with top rank Bob Arum and then when he came back two and a half years later he was with Debella so I think the dispute was with so top he did rank. it to leave top rank yes yeah it was it was not to leave Goosen I was wrong uh, uh I I know there was another fighter who had sat out oh I'm probably thinking of Andre Ward maybe had sat out the Goosen contract for a little while, maybe. That could be it. Um, Rob, Yeah, Robert looked that up, and I got the two confused. But I knew that he sat out a promotional contract. That's the main thing. And so he sat out to get away from top rank. And he, he, he gives up, he voluntarily gives up two and a half years just because he doesn't want to fight under that contract with, that, with those people. And he, he gives up two and a half of his, you know, his most valuable years a little bit like Ali don't think that there's not a cost when Ali did it was three and a half years and Ali did it of course was forced into exile because he refused to go into the Vietnam War and um, uh, refused to go into the army and he lost the some of the most valuable years of his young life, Ali. Yeah. Three and a half years. And 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 impressive is not even nearly a strong enough word to really explain what he did when he came back and had a fight with Jerry Quarry after three and a half years off, a fight with Oscar Bonavina, and then he fights the great Joe Frazier, who's active and who's heavyweight champ of the world and who's throwing left hooks, uh, you know, 100 miles an hour at you. You know, a thousand left hooks every two minutes he's throwing at you, and he keeps coming. I mean, it's extraordinary, extraordinary. No well, wonder we call him the greatest. No one, no, uh, what's, uh, I, I mentioned Joe Frazier and he leaves. Look, look, I mentioned Joe Frazier and left hooks coming, and look, empty seat. That will happen. That will happen to people when you mentioned Joe Frazier back in the day. People would leave their seats. People would disappear right in the ring. They would. But the point I'm making is that Ali lost three and a half years. He comes back and has an extraordinary career. Garcia, for a different reason, leaves two and a half years. He comes back. And he has all these big fights. He 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 wins another he wins another title. You know he's he stays undefeated uh, right up until the moment that he lost to Spence's. You know two fights ago. But he has all this success. We forget about how he lost that two and a half years of his career, and it was not without a price. Ken, you got back just in time. <laughs> it was not without a price. Because for me, just like Ali was never the same fighter when he left for three and a half years. I mean, he was—he became he, a legendary fighter. He made all the money. He won titles. He, he did all these great things because he was great. But he wasn't the same fighter. The first Ali, the only time that a fighter touched him was when a referee would make you touch gloves before the bell, <laughs> before the bell rang. Yeah. That was the only time you touched him. Now he came back, he was in front of you, you, you could hit him, you know, he was flat-footed. I mean, it was up, but he still was great and he won all those fights. 
because of his greatness. Yeah. He reinvented himself. Yep. That's that's what the great ones do. But the point I'm making with Garcia, people forget it. Extraordinary. I'm going to say it again. Mikey, you're extraordinary. You leave two and a half years, you come back, and you do all the things you've done, but you're not the same fighter. Now, here's what I'm going to say. The Mikey Garcia, before he left, he had the best legs in boxing up until the time that Lomachenko came around. He had the best legs in boxing. He was in and out, in and out, counterpunching, blah, 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 out, in, out, in. He was in and out. He was not the tortoise that inches his way in now. And again, it's effective for him, but it's a different Mikey Garcia. And nobody talks about this. The the Before the two and a half years old, like I said, he had the best legs in boxing. Then Lomachenko came along, and I think he probably has has took him over as the best legs. But he doesn't fight. He doesn't have the ability after that two and a half years off. He had to reinvent himself. Now he sits down more. Now he steps out, but it's like a walkout, a step out. It's not a sprint. It's not a quickness. It's not the same, and it's not as regular. It's not as consistent, and the space isn't as great where he creates more havoc. Now it's just barely out of position, barely in position. And it's more of a step in, step out, you know, inch here, inch there. That's what he does now. And I think that that probably hurt him against Spence because he was giving up weight. I'm making no excuses for him. He was going to lose to Spence because Spence is better. Spence knows how to fight. Not just bigger, knew how to fight. Knew how to do all the things he had to do to win that fight, but the size would have been, advantage might have been negated a little bit by Garcia if it was the first Garcia that could have used his legs a little more. That's all I'm saying. And I'm saying you have a different version of Garcia than you had back in 2000, what was it, 2014. One of the the things that he did, and Brian Kenny pointed it out uh, during the broadcast in the Vargas fight is, he would throw a one-two at different paces. So he might throw a quick one-two, bang, bang. And then he would throw a one and almost hesitate a beat and then throw the right hand. So as Vargas was adjusting to the one-two, he would change up the pace with with which he was throwing it. Did you notice that? And is that something that you've noticed in the past with fighters or worked on in the past, changing the pace of the uh, combinations? Listen, a good pitcher in baseball can survive and be successful and more than survive um, can be can thrive by just changing pace on a pitch just you know you could have one pitch uh, Mario Mariano Rivera, the great relief pitcher, maybe the greatest of all time for the New York Yankees, basically had one or two pitches. He had a fastball and a cut fastball, I believe. I'm not trying to be Yogi Berra over here <laughs> but, uh, or Casey Stengel, but you know, I know a little something about sports and common sense and an appreciation for such things. And he, he used to use those two pitches. And a lot of pitches, they will have only one or two pitches, but they change what you just talked about, the pace the 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 they change the speed of the pitch by changing the grip up and, by changing the grip on the ball it yeah, comes out of their hand yeah. at a different speed 
And they and that's exactly right. And they got the same pitch, but they just alternate the speeds. And it obviously it's successful and effective. And fighters do the same thing. You don't want to throw a jab always. Let's see if I could get in the camera here. Always the the same speed where you can start to uh, time it or you start to get comfortable with it and be able to regulate it a little bit. Uh, you want to change it. Sometimes you throw it a little, little faster. Other times, depending on the position you're in, you might throw it a little bit of a different pace. Uh, just, just slightly, just slightly. Uh, you might do it off a faint. But you might change the pace just slightly just so the rhythm is not learned by the guy who's looking to time you. Yeah. Because he's looking to time you with the right hand probably. Mm -hmm. So you want to change it. So, yeah, fighters do that. Smart fighters do that. That's what separates them. So it's nothing unusual. I didn't hear Brian Kenny say it. And Brian Kenny, I think, is one of the better guys. At, I, I think it's him, Bob Papa, um, as long as I'm on this hot take a liberty to give my opinion um i think bob Papa, who doesn't do enough boxing anymore he used to do with espn and then with hbo he he should be doing more but he he's involved with golf and football he's, he's the voice of the new york giants uh radio voice uh i think he's i think he's the best uh i think that right now of the active ones brian kenny might be the best the most solid yeah uh to, to do the blow by blow commentating yeah. where you know he's he's just he's solid and and he's knowledgeable yeah. he knows what the freak he's talking about but getting back to this yeah it's a thing that good fighters do and again what I saw in that fight was he slowly Garcia being he uh, inched his way into position and um. He, he started to get the range he needed. And another thing he had going against him, or at least that added to the difficulty factor of this fight for him, is that Mikey Garcia, you are attached to your temperament. You are attached. I always talk about the mental side of boxing. You're attached to that side, Ken, to who you are. Uh, what your style is is indicative to your personality to how you think if you're a cautious person a reckless person a person that likes taking risks a person who's much more thoughtful much more uh, concise about what he does much more conservative about it influences that personality influences your style your approach to what you do in everything in life and in the ring Mikey Garcia is not really a guy that his style and his temperament is to just go right after you. It's to think. It's to be thoughtful. It's to be conservative. It's to place punches. Uh, it's to be in position, not out of position. You know, it's to do things to be patient. That's his temperament. And he was being forced to be aggressive. And, not, and again, his temperament is more to be a counterpuncher. When he had those legs, but he don't have those legs the way he had. I just explained why. Mm -hmm. So now he's being a little bit more forced to be more aggressive, to change his style a little bit. And it's not really his first choice. It's not really the thing that he's most comfortable with to just come forward. He does it, but he'd rather lay traps. He'd rather pick spots. He'd rather, you know, 
do it that way. So he was being taken out of his element a little bit. He got it done. It took time. And one of the things that he does really well, he doesn't waste anything. Yeah. He really doesn't waste anything. He he makes sure he's in position uh, to, when he throws. He's never off balance, Mikey Garcia. And he throws educated punches, smart punches. And he's a good puncher, mm. solid puncher, because he's always set. And he he knows what punches to throw at the right time. When he hurt Vargas, right away you could see it, his IQ. He knew what punches to throw. One up, one down, one you know uppercut here, body punch here, you know, throw right hand on top to make his head move over here and then come back underneath with a left hand. I mean, he he's very calm. He sees things well. Uh, his he again his selection of punches at the appropriate time is tremendous. He places them in a very intelligent, accurate, concise way. Uh, and you and you saw those things. Yeah. But you you know you saw all that. Well, it looks like he might be in line for a showdown with uh, and probably a massive payday that goes with it against Manny Pacquiao. What do you think his uh, chances are there um, versus Pacquiao at welterweight? You know, I think it's very interesting. Um, I think Pacquiao is... When is he going to get old? <laughs> the, see, the first... No, really. He's 41, right? Yeah. He's 41. He's 41. Um, he found the fountain of youth. You know, I'm not saying, you know, literally, I'm speaking figuratively, but, you know, he found the fountain of youth. He did. I mean, you found it too, Ken, by the way. Um, really. You <laughs> not know, exactly you like he did. <laughs> yeah, you know, you look marvelous. But, I mean, look, Michael Buffer found it. He's 100 years old, and he doesn't look a day over 70. Right? No. I mean, <laughs> Ken... <laughs> I love to see Ken smile. I mean, it's uh, I do because he's got a, such a goodness. So I like to see it come out. How to how to win friends and influence people with the great Teddy Alice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like I like I really care. Um, no one's going to accuse you of that. <laughs> no, I don't know. But listen, when's he going to get old? I think that that's how I preface this answer. When's he going to get old? Uh, he's a remarkable guy, Pacquiao. He's remarkable as a human being, the things he does, the way he lives his life, the way he takes care of his Filipino brothers and sisters over there. Um, I think he's I think he's a remarkable human being. I do. Uh, I'm not saying he's not flawed like we all are, but I'm just talking about the things that I can see that are good and they're better than a lot of people uh, do. And... He's been remarkable as a fighter, just remarkable. And beating Thurman, uh, you know, a young Thurman, and he's 40 years old, now he's 41. But I say this about that fight, if it does happen, what makes it really interesting is you can make a case on both sides. You can make a case of what I just finished saying. The strength of Garcia is that he's conservative, he's patient, He's accurate. He he's efficient. He doesn't waste anything. He's always in position. Um, you know, 
he's not going to throw punches just to throw them. And he and and all that. The negative is that he's the same thing. The negative to Garcia is the same thing as his positive. He's conservative. He's patient. He doesn't waste anything. He's efficient. Of course, don't forget he is a bit of a slow starter. But his positives can also be negatives. Because against a guy like Pacquiao, who even at 41 still has speed, still throws a lot of punches, Pacquiao's going to get ahead in that fight. I'm going to say it again. Pacquiao's going to get ahead in that fight. Way ahead. The first three, four, five rounds. It's going to be all Pacquiao. Because of, again, the strengths of Garcia are the negatives. That, yeah, when he's in position, he's going to throw plenty of beautiful puns. But it takes him time to get in that position. If you were in camp with Garcia, what should he do knowing that that's likely to happen? What should he do to prepare for that? Well, the first thing is to control range. To control range. Um, instead of being a negative where he's going to time you, Pacquiao's going to get off first as you're slowly coming in, step out and, and make, make a Grand Canyon of a gap for Pacquiao to have to cross where now you can use your play to your positives. You're a good counterpuncher. You're giving yourself an opportunity to use that. So uh, the thing I would, the, the thing that's so interesting about this matchup is that I could see, even though he's nine years older than Garcia, nine years older, I could see Pacquiao getting ahead in his fight because he, the one of the weaknesses of Garcia and everything I described with the strengths is you can out-hustle him. You can outwork him because he is conservative. So I could see Pacquiao outworking him, out-hustling him in the first half of the fight. Now comes the bad news memo for Pacquiao. That's the good news memo. The bad news is that he reaches in sometimes. He runs red lights. Being that he's so used to having that great advantage of speed, he will just jump in and get away with it most of the time. Except he didn't get away with it in his last fight with Marquez. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get away with it there. That was in December of 2012. Can you? <laughs> that wasn't his last fight. No, 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 no. he had one after in, that. In Mark, Juan Manuel Marquez, is that the fight you were just referring to? Yeah, but he fought him. He fought him like he fought him like five times, uh, four times, whatever it was. Uh, so that he fought him later than that. He fought him later than 2012, right? That wasn't the last time he fought Marquez. Last time was he it? fought Juan Manuel Marquez, he got knocked out cold in December eighth, 2012. Wow, he, it's been that He long. fought him it's in 2011. You're right. Wow. And he fought him in 2008. Yep. <laughs> yeah. What did he fight him? Four, five fought times. Eric Morales oh, in 06, 05. Wow. It was, it's, been, it's been eight years already. He fought oh, one man, well, Marquez, one time in 2004. Yeah, of course. Oh, my God. No, I know he fought him all those times. Uh, I mean, thank God he found that fountain of youth. But anyway, uh, so... He, he gets, the last time he fought him, as you correctly said, it was already eight years ago. He, 
He jumped in, he got caught. But for the most part, he gets away with it because he's always faster. He's always able to run a red light, and there's never a cop there. (laughs) (laughs) There's never a cop there to give him a ticket. And except Marquez was there, and he he gave him a ticket. It was like uh, there was... He, he he ran right into a truck. But in this fight, I see early on he'll get away with that. Then as the rounds go by and Garcia gets in gear and settles in and starts getting in better position, his ability to counterpunch so accurately will come into play. Because he have an opportunity to counter Pacquiao reaching in, where the speed that got him, that allowed him to get away with that when he was in his twenties, in his thirties, might not allow him to get away with it with such an accurate counter puncher at forty-one. So he might be just a little step slow, and I could see Garcia having success in the second half of the fight where I think he'll hurt Pacquiao. He'll have a good chance to catch him a solid punch and affect him, impact him, maybe drop him. So I find it an easy fight for me to help the promoters promote, (laughs) you know, to help sell it. Because you can make an argument on both sides because of what I just said, because of the styles and makeups of both fighters and their strengths and weaknesses are the same. Pacquiao's, just like Garcia, his strengths are also his weaknesses in some fight. Pacquiao, his strengths are also his weaknesses. His speed, his ability to close the gap fast, to throw a lot of punches, that's his strength. It also leaves a vulnerability where you can catch him on the way in. Yeah. So I find it a fascinating, at 41 years of age, I mean, just think about that. Boy, you, you're probably going to, Boy, you're going to have a guy nine years old, of great, one of the great fighters of, of all time, and I, he deserves that. I'm gonna, I don't put that out there too easy. I don't. I don't. But I think he deserves those superlatives from me and from others, uh, Pacquiao. He, he's really something. You're going to have him at 41 fighting if that fight happens. And then all you have to do is, then you're going to have the 100-year-old buffer, you know, <laughs> saying, let's get ready to... I, I mean, really, that's going to be a good mix. That's going to be a good. I can't wait till this podcast hits because, <laughs> boy, oh boy, we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of stuff flying in our direction. We're gonna we're gonna have a lot. Ken, Ken, get your get your, start moving that head. Ken, start moving that head. There you there you go. There you go, Kenny Davis. If you, uh, the the pure boxing fans will know this, but for casual boxing fans, all you have to do is look down Pacquiao's um, box wreck record and see the names i mean for the last 10 years every single person he's fought has been like a superstar he's had very very few layup fights or stay busy fights i mean there's a few sprinkled in there but i mean he's fought a who's who um but anyway let's switch gears and get to a a fight that doesn't really warrant much in the way of commentary other than the fact that it was a shocking upset but i think basically with the um Adam Kowanaki against Robert Hellenius uh, in Barclays Center in Brooklyn, March 7th. Uh, Hellenius came in. He was anywhere from a plus 500 to a plus 1100 underdog. I mean, it was basically a stay busy fight for uh, Konaki. And 
Hellenius just... Be careful. Be careful if those stay busy. Exactly. And Hellenius got him out of there in the fourth round. Really exposed Konaki as like not being that fundamentally sound. I can't imagine what would have happened to him if he did get in there with one of the elites of the heavyweight. I mean, he struggled with an old Chris Ariola who I love. But Konaki didn't look spectacular against him, and Hellenius just basically beat him up. What are your thoughts on that one? And by the way, one quick thing. That that whole card, that PBC card at Barclays Center, possibly the worst card I've ever seen in my life. Every single fight was either a mismatch or two guy all heavyweight affair, three heavyweight fights. Ending with Konaki. See, that's it's why he's my stunk. partner, everybody. He's not afraid to take shots I mean, it at was, him it, coming in. It, it was Bring, t- come on. Worst, Bring it on. Easily Bring worst it on. card in years that I've seen for a... For that's a- why he's my partner. You see? <laughs> he ain't afraid to tell the truth and put things out there and say, come on, you want to throw stuff at me? You want to throw stuff at Teddy? Come on. <laughs> well, I'll give you a reason to throw at me, too. <laughs> I'm sure that that's a common theme with a lot of people. I mean, it really was terrible. But all the fights stunk. And um, not a lot of skill being exhibited in any of those fights, to say the least. But I think there was a lot of hope, obviously, on Konaki that how's he was going to be a superstar. How's your press credential request doing, Doc? I gave up on those, Teddy. I'd rather just pay for a ticket and sit there and be <laughs> myself and do what I want to do than you, to brother. kiss ass. I'm and- with you, brother. <laughs> I am with you. <laughs> How's that press credential list doing, huh? <laughs> they can keep they- it. <laughs> keep it. Where are you? Where, where are you? Moved you down here. Ken Ryder. Uh, let me see. Oh, cross that off. Cross that off. He does not get a credential. <laughs> no. All right. Um, first of all, my friend, uh, the great sports handicapper in Vegas, Bill Krakenberger, uh, one of the best in the country, if not the best. And he's got his own television shows, radio shows, everything. I mean, I don't tell anybody to be a sports handicapper for a living, but if you're going to be one, uh, he's one of the few that actually wins. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's that's pretty good. Um, so he told me, Ken, when you were talking about the odds, yeah, that... He, he of course, has access to all the different areas. He said you could have taken 16 to 1. Oh, my you God. You could have gotten 16 to 1. Jesus. So having said that, I have to start the way you touched on, and you, you touched on it the right way. Two undefeated heavyweights were both knocked out within the last two weeks. And what did both have in common. We know who we're talking about. We're talking about Wilder and Kanaki. What did they both have in common? Neither one were taught the basic fundamentals of how to fight. I mean, Kanaki's tough, but that's not the only thing it takes to be a top fighter, if you haven't noticed. I have a news memo for <laughs> all the people out there. There's plenty of tough guys in this business. It's about more than just being tough. There's a reason why a great writer years ago coined the business, the sport, the sweet science. You're supposed to pay a little attention to the sweet science part, not just going in there and showing how good a chin you have. So it's it's not coincidental that two heavyweights undefeated both got exposed uh, within a couple weeks uh, because there's 
there's a lot of guys, quite frankly, it also puts a light somewhere else. People are going to say, where are you putting a light, Ted? You're putting a light that there's a, some fighters aren't taught fundamentals, aren't taught the things you're supposed to, the rudimental things that one should know before getting in the ring. I mean, it would be tantamount to, it's not just about athletic ability. It's not just about a chin. It's not just about heart. That's part of it. But you're supposed to know what you're doing. This is really shine the light. There's a lot of guys don't know what they're doing. And they get away with it till they don't get away with it. They get away with it. I'll say it again. Till they don't get away with it. Till they get exposed by somebody who also is tough, but they're smart. This would be tantamount to the great Michael Jordan, one of the great athletes of our time, of any time, in any sport, having all those athletic proudness, all that, all those athletic gifts, and nobody taught him how to dribble the ball. <laughs> uh, that, that would be a shame. That would be a shame. But that would short-circuit Michael Jordan a little bit, wouldn't it? Yep. That would put a that put a little damper on what Michael Jordan was supposed to be and is and and has been. But how about if Michael Jordan was never taught how to shoot? How about if he was never taught how to post up? How if he was never taught how to create his own offense? <laughs> He'd still be a great athlete. He'd still be dangerous in running the court because of his athletic abilities, but he sure as hell wouldn't be what he is. And it's the same thing with these fighters. They're not taught. And if I'm putting a light on that, I'll go all the way. I'll go all the way. You got to put a light on the so-called trainers whose responsibility is to teach. Yeah, they get them in shape. But again, there's more to being a fighter, Ken, than just taking a good punch. There's more being a trainer than to just say, hey, go do five rounds over there, do 10 rounds over there, and make sure you do your three, four miles of road work in the morning and um, put a couple sprints in there we want to push that cardiovascular a little bit. Um, but there's more to it than that. How about showing how someone to slip a punch? <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he wasn't slipping many in this fight. This guy was like there got, to be I hit. Got a news, I, I got a news memo. It's not illegal to move your head. <laughs> it's not against the law. Last I checked, nobody would come in to Madison Square Garden or Barclay Arena or anywhere else and arrest you on the spot because you're moving your head. <laughs> I mean, really? Do you know what I think about when, you, when anytime now I hear move your head? 
Do you remember when we were in camp and Alex was sparring with one of the sparring partners and Alex was using his head for punching bag and the round ended and you had said to me, don't give them any instructions. I've already told them how I want them to behave like the opponent we're training for. And the, the, the sparring partner looked over at me after he just got done eating about 20 punches. And I looked at him, I said, dude, you got to move your head. And you looked at me with a death stare <laughs> like, don't do that. And I was like, I couldn't help myself. No, no, but you were right. No, but I told him. But 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 before you make me look like the Hannibal the Lecter or Lecter <laughs> Hannibal the Animal, the whatever the freak you're making me look like, I would tell. How many times would I say, even though I'm concentrating on my fighter, how many times during spawn would I say, "Hey, you got to move your head"? No, you you right? you did, you did. But you said to me, "I'm gonna." I would say I'll to the spawn the- partner, "Hey, listen, <laughs> you're getting hit too much. You got to move your head, or or you got to step back and change your your distance, your your range. You know, because I don't want him." Obviously, I want what I need for my fighter, but I don't want a guy getting killed. No, I don't want of course, a guy of course. My point is I, that you, you know, were like, I don't want him getting instructions from two people. I've got it under control, and I just like. <laughs> no, of course, but um, listen, it's. Uh, I remember too. I I remember I I gave you a nickname uh, <laughs> that day, Angelo Dundee. I started calling you. I, <laughs> I say, oh, we got Angelo Dundee over here. <laughs> we got Angelo Dundee over here. Uh, I laugh every time I think about it. <laughs> I couldn't control myself. No, I, there's got to be order. There's got to be order. You're you right. don't have order. You got nothing. You got chaos. Yep. You can't be a teacher. You can't get a job done. Go watch that movie. It's one of the great movies of all time. Lauren, uh, Justice Fall with Al Pacino. Yep. Justice Fall. And, and he's in a crazy courtroom. Chaos. Maniac. The judge's a maniac. Everybody's out. And all of a sudden, he says, the judge says, this court's out of order. It's out of order. And Pacino, the lawyer, says, everyone's out of order. This whole damn system's out of order. This whole place is out of order. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't want my gym getting out of order. That's all. That's for I sure. I didn't want my workplace getting out of order. Look. Getting back to Kanaki, um, they lost a big payday. Very big. Uh, they, they they got exposed. You know, they got exposed by a guy that would have been worth putting a bet. And I, I'm not doing Monday morning quarterbacking where uh, I can pick all the win- <laughs> I can pick all the winners the next day. There's a lot of guys out there very good at picking winners the next day. Very good. But I'm not doing that. But he would have been worth a bet. <laughs> Obviously, at sixteen to one, Ken, uh, he would have been worth a bet at three to one. The problem, to be with, honest, the problem with Hellenius. But is, no, no. But wait, let oh, me sorry, just say, you know why he was worth a bet? Yeah. Because of what we just said. Because this guy was just—he was an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. I hate to phrase it that way, but he was. It's the easiest way to phrase it. It was just a matter of time, and Hellenius. You know, one thing, what, he had three losses, whatever? The- he had, he, yeah, he had three losses. He had a unanimous decision loss to Dillian White. Yeah, here's the thing. He lost to good fighters. He was in there with better fighters than, not only better fighters than Kanaki had fought, but to be honest, he had been in there with better fighters than Kanaki. He had beaten oh, for better sure. fighters he had beaten better fighters than Kanaki was himself. So 
he was a guy that was experienced. He was a guy who could punch a little bit, a tall guy, and a hungry guy because, you know, obviously his career uh, wasn't at the tops. It wasn't moving in the direction that Kanaki was. He was there as an opponent. This was his chance to get back into a place where he wanted to be, where he could make money. So he had all the motivation. And, and again, he just on the fact that you knew what Kanaki, or you're supposed to know what, what his flaws are and, and his exposure is, and you know that this guy, Hellenius, had been in there with good fighters. And that's enough to put a bet on him. Yeah. Right? I mean, right there. That's enough to put a bet on him. But having having said all that, uh, you know, um, I, I tell you, it, it's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me, Ken, that the promoters, the managers, whatever, they will put, they'll get a guy, like a heavyweight, right? You know you can make a lot of money. So it's an investment, right? Yep. You're, you're in an investment world. Okay, this is perfect. So you're in an investment world. So you put money into it, and you put money into places to build that investment, right? And so here you are, you're a promoter, and you put in, you put maybe five years into this guy till you get to that place because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take four or five years and then if everything goes right and you put everything in the right place and you developed it the right place, your investment's going to pay off. It's going to pay off hopefully big. Hopefully, heavyweight title, big, big, big money. I mean, look at the money that Wilder's making. Not everyone makes that what money. What about Ruiz? Five million for the upset of Joshua, 13 for the rematch. Big 18 million Bingo. in six so, months. It's 18 million and six. So that's what you're aiming for. So here you are, you're a promoter, you're a manager, and you have an investment and you try to put everything into it to, to get that to be, to realize that, to realize that goal, to get to that goal, to maximize your investment, to get your investment to the place where you can cash out. And if you really do it right, more than cash out, where you can stay there for a while and continue to make money. That's what you're trying to do. So what do you do? You put PR into it. You buy him a nice robe. <laughs> you buy him a car to keep him happy. You give him a stipend of money. You get him an apartment. You do all these things. And the one thing you forget to do, <laughs> teach him how to fight. <laughs> you forget to get somebody that's going to teach him how to fight. <laughs> I, damn it, I forgot that. Don, wow. Oh, I should, what's that old commercial? Look, you hit yourself. I should have had a V8. <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> I should have had a V8. I forgot. I that was some that was a little important, a little bit important. It, it'd be it would be like it would be like building a plane. Like if you were if you were in Boeing aircraft and you built planes and you went and you built a plane, an engine, wings, flaps, <laughs> you even built an airport, and you got everything ready, and you forgot to teach the pilot how to fly. That's a problem. 
Yep. <laughs> it's a problem. Well, they're probably, I'm sure that they're regretting that decision now, but um, to, that's a perfect segue into a fight with two fighters who actually did know how to fight, or at least uh, one of the best women's fight we've seen maybe ever, and that was at um, the recent UFC event with um, Wei Li Zhang and Joanna Zedshashek. We'll call her Joanna. You, we'll call her Joanna. I'll call her Joanna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Joanna. So it was the co-main event on the um, Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero card recently. And this fight ended up being literally, they're talking about as one of the top five best UFC fights ever. Certainly the best women's fight we've ever seen, or at least I've ever seen. They stood and banged the whole time. And the fight was highlighted by the fact that at some point, the Chinese fighter, Zhang, hit Joanna with a straight right, and it swelled her head up in a way that I've never seen a head swollen before. In hindsight, it's shocking that they continue to let the fight go on, only because her head was swollen like a pumpkin. The entire forehead, she looked like an alien. Nevertheless, they let the fight go on. Uh, Zhang ends up winning a very close decision, but my, what a fight. And I know you've had a chance to look at it, and I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this one. Well, the first thing you're going to ask me, I'm sure, uh, you're going to go back and ask me, Teddy, have you ever seen swelling like that? Or any kind of injury right? like that where the fight was, yeah, where they well, let the fight continue. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever seen anything like that? My answer would be, it was extraordinary, and it shows you the heart and the merit um, of why these fighters, women or men, should always get paid as much as they can because of the risk and what they go through and the heart, the resolve, the resiliency, the greatness of them to deal with these things and still still go forward. It shows all of that. But my answer would be yes. And my man Rob's about to send you a picture right now. And we're going to put it up there at the right time. We'll get it up there. We'll have it up there for the fans too. But there it is. You take a look. I just want Ken's reaction, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's Haseem Rockman. I remember that. I remember that. The only thing I'll say is, as bad as that is, that was the girl's. This is like over his left eye. That girl, Joanna Jenchechek, her entire head was like this. But yeah, I, know, I remember but, but this. this. I remember this. But this distinctly. moved beyond his eye. This did move to, I'd say, to his bridge of his nose eventually. So it was at least half his forehead yeah. was, you know. And uh, so I have seen it before. It doesn't make it any more uh, graphic or any less graphic or any less extraordinary. Uh, it's, it's a testament to these athletes, to why they're so special, uh, why they can do and accomplish things that other people don't accomplish, uh, why they should get paid, why I scream when there's a bad decision why I attack the judges, I attack the system, I attack, st I attack the incompetence and the corruption of the sport when it, when it allows a judge, whether it be incompetence or corruption, to cheat a fighter when they've risked so much, when they've earned what they've earned, and earned the right to move on, to get paid again, to move forward, to have their hand raised, and some crooked judge, some careless judge, whatever you want to identify them as, comes along and takes that right away from them when they've earned it. That's why I go after them. That's why I'm passionate about it. That's why I scream. Uh, because you saw it right there. 
I want to applaud these two women. I'm not going to call them women. I'm not going to call them anything. I'm just going to, I want to applaud these two fighters. I want to applaud these two special people uh, for, I am not an expert on what rates as the best UFC fighter of all time. I'm the first to say it. Uh, I have all the respect in the world for the sport. I watch it more than I used to watch it now, but I do not watch enough, uh, especially of the women's, to say that I could judge if it's the greatest. But I don't have to. When you watch that, you know what you're watching. From my background in boxing, from a background of anything competitive, anything of merit, anything of consequence, anything that you have to overcome and deal with difficulties, when you watch that, you salute it. You take your hat off. You stand up and you say, oh my goodness, bravo, bravo, bravo. And that's what I found myself saying. The same way as those commentators were saying. And that's another way I could judge it too. I don't need it. I judge it myself the way I just said. But I trust those UFC commentators. I find them on the whole to be better than a lot of the ones in boxing, quite frankly. Because unlike boxing where sometimes you sneak in somebody that has no background in teaching or being a coach or training or or participating in, in some function of the sport in a way that you that you have to be aware of what a fighter needs to be better to improve by either having participated as I said as a trainer or as a fighter where you get some of them corny X's and O's when I watch football I watch the Super Bowl I see whoever the coach happens to be, whether it's Bill Parcells or whether it's Gruden or whether whoever, you know, they'll be the ones breaking down the X's and O's. You know, the, the newspaper guy might talk about the crowds and the history, but they're not going to be breaking the X's and O's down. No, we respect the sport too much to do that. The credibility factor. We're not going to do that in football, baseball, basketball. No, you're not going to have somebody telling you how to hit the fastball at 100 miles an hour that hasn't hit a fastball at 100 miles an hour or hasn't coached a player <coughs> to hit a fastball. At 100. No, you're not going to have that. But unfortunately, you have that <laughs> sometimes in boxing. And, and it's whatever it's crazy and it can be frustrating i'm sure it's frustrating to the fans too so on the whole i find the ufc commentators to be more credible to be a little better not there's some great commentators in boxing some tremendous one uh there's ones there's no doubt about it um but um, but then you don't get the consistency and i see a little more consistency with the ufc that I've been able to see. So when they tell me, so when they tell me that it's the greatest or potentially the greatest UFC match they've ever seen, I listen. And again, I, I see for myself, but I still listen. And I'm, I concur. <laughs> I concur. Uh, and I tell you, the thing that, the thing that really struck me, Ken, 
about this. So many facets of it, so many dimensions of it, the heart, the steadiness, the consistency, uh, you know, the, I, I mean, all of it. But the thing that probably most impressed with for me was how they both maintained their levels of form and technique throughout the entire fight while pushing themselves at a high risk level. And I think that's for me that's the way I would the way I would say it. Uh I mean Joanna, you know, I'm not gonna go down that road with <laughs> that name. Um she impressed me with her she impressed me with well they both impressed me with everything. But she impressed me with her intelligence, her discipline to just to to take the fight on the outside um where she had an advantage. You know, I I I recognized and I appreciated that she was longer, taller, and she had an advantage on the outside. Um where she was served by those attributes. While for me, Zhang, uh, am I saying the name right? Zhang? Close enough, Zhang. Zhang. And I want to say it. They deserve their names to be said properly. Um, Zhang, she she looked like better BF, the fighter that we saw up close mm -hmm. in some ways, the, the uh, unified champion. Um, steady. Relentless, uh, strong, strong, physical, and when she would get into her proper power lanes, her proper places where she was comfortable, she would consistently put together four punches, four or five punches, um, knowing that that was her, knowing that that was her thing, knowing that. That that was what she needed to do um, to maximize her things that she does. That she gets into that place, she works herself into that place, kind of like the old saying, make hay while the sun is shining. Yep. She had that attitude. You know, okay, I'm here. I'm not throwing one. I'm putting the four solid punches uh, together. Um, she, she also reminded me a little of Inoue, the great Japanese champion in boxing. That's always balanced, always in position, always set, never out of position. Uh, that impressed me. Um, again, Joanna was, I, I found Joanna a little bit more adaptable and versatile, uh, and their styles obviously were conducive to, you know, to a great fight, which your styles do come into play to make a great fight. Um, it was a classic, was, for me, it was almost a classic stand-up boxer. Like, they were classic stand-up boxers with the addition, the bonus of a kick, <laughs> you know, the, the, the bonus of a kick, like two stand-up, magnificent stand-up boxes with, you get an extra, you get a cherry on top. <laughs> the cherry on top was a kick. At one point, at one point, I, th I think in the first round, 
Zhang kicked uh, Joanna in the jaw so perfectly, and the girl just kind of shook it off. And it's interesting that you used the analogy of better BF because that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like very similar to our fight where it looked like Alex was winning. Joanna looked like she was winning, more versatile, but the other one was just so strong, so solid in what they were good at that when they got that chance to get off, the, the strength advantage. And that's the point that I was trying to make with... with um. Zhang, uh, say the name again. Zhang. With with Zhang, I was trying to make that point. Yeah, she knew, she understood herself, her strengths, and what she needed to do, when in a position to do it. She recognized that she she didn't miss a beat. Yeah, she knew what she needed to be doing. It's kind of like that, uh, Dirty Harry movie with the great Clint Eastwood. A man must know his limitations. <laughs> you know, a man must know his strengths and his limitations. She knew her strengths. She knew for her, especially in this fight where there wasn't margin for error, when she's in position, let four go. Let four solid punches go. She she knew what she needed to be, what what to be on all eight cylinders clicking. And she needed all eight cylinders, not seven. <laughs> That that's a great talent. That's a great ability to recognize that in yourself. Yeah. That <clears throat> she knew she needed all eight cylinders, and one of those cylinders was uh, could not be missing. Could not be missing. It had to be hitting. To I'm in position. Bang, 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 bang. Let those four go. You know, it's one of her strengths. Make sure that it's there. And um, for me, Ken, the fight had everything. I mean, it really did. It had technique talent, toughness, determination. It had ebbs and flows that make for a great fight, for a great story, for a great novel. A great fight is like a great novel. Yep. You're reading a chapter by chapter and then you're going through changes. You're going through, you know, overcoming things. You're, go, you're going through, you know, ups and downs uh, uh, where the character in the, in the novel uh, is being threatened and, and maybe about to, about to be uh, defeated, and then all of a sudden they come back in the next chapter. You know, it, it was it was like reading a good book. Yeah, uh, and that's what a good fight is in some ways. Uh, it had the back and forths. It, it was really, really, truly like watching a a beautiful firefight. Well, there was always the presence of danger. There was there was also a certain majestic quality to it. Kind of like a dangerous dance. Yeah. Like, really, it, it was uh, It was really special. It really was. And um, little did I know that I'd be on our podcast uh, applauding the way I am a, a great woman's uh, UFC fight. But when it's there to be applauded, It should be applauded. Showing your diversity and ability to adapt, just like a fighter. Well, listen, this has been a super long episode uh, compared to the ones we normally do, but I figured since everyone's locked in their house with no live sports, hopefully people will enjoy a little bit more of the in-depth analysis and uh, back-and-forth banter of this episode. Please, I, I, well, obviously we're going to probably be locked in our houses for the next two to four weeks, hopefully not any longer. And listen, I'm gonna, can I say one thing? I know how serious it is. I started the show by saying we pray for everybody to be healthy. Yep. And we pray for the families that have been affected. We pray for the people we've lost and their families. 
and all that. And um, uh, and I'll say one thing, I think, with all of it. Um, like you said, you're in your homes. Hopefully, uh, get, this gives you something to distract you a little bit, to listen to, you know, to find entertaining. Uh, and tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek. Can I say a little tongue? And not minimizing the significance and the seriousness of what's going on out there. But uh, you, you, did you stack up on enough toilet paper? <laughs> Unlike all the people with the toilet paper panic, my toilet is right next to my shower. Should God forbid, should I run out of toilet paper? I've got a plan B. Um. <laughs> okay, that's enough. That 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 is that's enough. Okay, with that we'll bid you all farewell, and we love you. Before uh, cross the pond, everyone stay safe. Before we sign off, I just want to say, please, if you like the show, take two seconds, leave us a review. We'd like to use the opportunity while everyone's trapped and looking for things to discuss. We'd love to use the opportunity to bring some more content to you over the next couple of weeks. We'll try to do as much as we can. All we ask is if you like it, please leave a review, share the links, and um, we'll look to keep bringing you the content. And uh, please, everyone, stay safe out there. Look out for each other. Uh, don't get in a fist fight over toilet paper. You, you'll, you'll do okay without toilet paper, I promise. And uh, with that, Teddy, thanks for doing this. Thanks, thank you all for tuning in. Thanks for in. that tip. Thanks for that tip to the people about the <laughs> yeah. shower. Oh. All right, guys. That's thanks for being with us. Uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs>